Well, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, as I made uh, a, a brief uh, notation, I'm excited about our time together this morning in God's Word as we begin this uh, journey through the New Testament book of Acts. Uh, uh, I've had that on my sort of on my heart to preach through Acts at some point, and the time just didn't seem right. Uh, and with going off for vacation and praying where, where we should be starting next, uh, I was all set to do Acts, and then kind of my, my, my mind started going in other directions, and I was just unclear. But as I sort of sorted through some of the possibilities and where God would be leading us, I felt that the book of Acts is where God wants us to be uh, for the next uh, months and who knows how long, but we'll see. Uh, we're not in a hurry and, and we're going to preach his word until Jesus comes back. Uh, so <clears throat> we begin a journey today, as I said, through the New Testament book of Acts. And the book of Acts covers the first 30 years of church history uh, from its beginning on the day of Pentecost uh, to the taking of the gospel uh, to Rome which was the very capital uh, of the then world empire, world power known as the Roman Empire. But as uh, someone put it, uh, but far from being a, a chronicle of the past, uh, Acts becomes the platform from which to preach uh, to the present. God saw fit to put this book in, in his word so that believers in Jesus in all eras uh, might know how to present Jesus Christ to the world in the power and in the authority of the Holy Spirit. And as Christ followers, uh, we enter the same work and mission uh, of the church, which believers who have gone before us have continued since Jesus commissioned his people with the mandate to go and make disciples uh, of all the nations. And in a very real sense, uh, the story of the gospel continues in us. Uh, and that's what we see here in this book of Acts. And as I have uh, studied Acts, I've preached it before, and, and uh, certainly I've only gotten through the first 12 chapters in previous studies and Bible studies and things like that. My intention is to preach the entire book, which has 28 chapters. So, uh, so, so uh, settle in and, and, and get ready because we're going to go through them all unless the Lord uh, directs otherwise. But I'm, I'm confident that we will, we will benefit from this study. Um, and as I, as I study the book of Acts and as I study the entire New Testament, one of the things that, that comes to my mind as I think about even the book of Acts, is that God, God is still working uh, through his church to accomplish his purpose of making Jesus Christ known to the world. And, and can it be that the reason that the church, uh, particularly in our own country and, and the Christian uh, today, lacks effectiveness in seeing people come to Christ is that uh, we have overlooked or even ignored what God is saying in His Word, specifically in the book of Acts to His church. 
You know, my prayer for myself and for each of you is that we experience afresh the joy of the Lord and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in our lives as He works in and through us uh, to reach those around us and even beyond with the good news of salvation, which is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. So uh, let's, let's begin uh, this morning first just with a, a word of prayer as we commit this study to the Lord, and then we're going to take a look at the book of Acts as a whole together uh, as, as uh, we are together this morning. So let's pray. Our Father, we come uh, to this uh, time of worship. We have uh, sang your praises and declared uh, your truth that is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. And now, Father, we come to your Word, the Word that is inspired of the Holy Spirit, written by individuals, Lord, that you selected. And Father, you inspired them to write. The Holy Spirit directed them and used their personalities, their understanding, uh, and directed them with even the very choice of words that they used so that it would accurately and truthfully communicate your word uh, for the benefit of your people and for the, the revelation that is given to this world concerning Jesus Christ. And so we come to the book of Acts this morning, Father, and uh, it, is a, it is a lengthy book, but it's a, it's a valuable book for us as your people to uh, study it and to consider it and to, to know it, but more than that, Father, to apply it and live it out and to enter in uh, to what you are doing through your church even in this day and will continue to do until Jesus comes. And so it is our prayer, Father, that you will um, challenge us, that you will speak to us, that you will instruct us, that you will encourage us, and that we might live uh, in greater measure as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And Father, for what you are doing already in our midst and through us, we give you thanks and praise, and for what you will do, <laughs> we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd like for us uh, this morning to look at some broad observations about uh, the book of Acts. And uh, pardon the fact that uh, I'm reading some of these things. I, I'm trying to condense down my, my thoughts so that I can uh, make sure I cover everything I want to cover. I've, I've looked at so many different commentaries and uh, other resources to help me in, in just sort of an overview of Acts that there's more than I could ever share in one message. But we're going we're gonna to confine this introductory message to just one. Uh, but let me, let me begin by saying just as some broad observations. Luke uh, wrote the book of Acts as a companion or, or as the second volume uh, to the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, it accurately details the life and mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts, Luke is providing evidence that, that Jesus and his presence and ministry continues through his followers or the church. His purpose, uh, in part, was to reassure Theophilus of the truth and the reality of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ 
and the spreading of the gospel with its reception by multitudes of Gentiles revealed that the good news is for every person from Jerusalem to the very ends of the earth. So here are some broad observations about the book of Acts as a whole. Uh, Number one, Acts demonstrates that the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is for everyone. The message of the gospel is for everyone. You see Jews and Greeks and Romans, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, those who were free individuals, those who were in a position of being slaves, both the young and the old, both male and female, the most religious and the most rank atheist were all to hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Acts presents the church actively sharing the gospel with both words and with actions. It's, it's not an either-or, it's, it's both. And they did that in such great concert with one another that it was effective in presenting Jesus Christ to the world that needed to hear the message. Um, Thirdly, Acts highlights specific individuals whom God used to further the spread of the gospel. The book of Acts, even though it's called the Acts of the Apostles, surprisingly doesn't tell us about all 12 of the apostles. Uh, We're going to see a little bit about that here in a more in a moment. But Luke was selective in what he shared. After all, if you're writing a history of 30 years, are you going to be able to sort of condense it down into about 28 chapters or what became 28 chapters? That's a lot of material to cover and a lot of ground to cover. So he is very selective in what he writes and what he presents. And in in some cases, he's even giving us a a summary uh, of things that were happening and not giving us every detail that was happening. But God put in his word everything we need to know. (laughs) Whether that's that's true of the book of Acts or the book of Revelation or what he put in Genesis about the, the beginnings of all things, which is God himself, he told us what we need to know. And beyond that, maybe he'll reveal it to us in the future, maybe he won't. But we have all that we need in the word of God. The Word of God is sufficient in and of itself to teach us all things that pertain to life and godliness and what it means to be a Christ follower uh, in this day. The Gospel also, excuse me, Acts also emphasizes the person and work of the Holy Spirit as the source of the dynamic life and effective ministry of the church. I went up and counted the verses that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts, and I thought I was accurate in that it was 41. And I went back and started looking at that and realized that it's actually 54. 54 specific references to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in fact, I actually took all of those verses and wrote down the reference and then went to those verses and wrote out a little bit about what that verse was saying in regards to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And I was amazed at how much is there concerning the Spirit's work in and among God's people. 
and I wrote myself a little note at the end of that, that little exercise. And here's what I wrote. It's for my benefit, but I'll share it with you if you find it helpful. Um, it is not wrong to speak of the Holy Spirit, nor is it wrong to desire His presence, His fullness, or His working in my life. As someone once said, there is no jealousy in the Godhead. It's not wrong for the people of God to desire the work of the Spirit of God in their lives and to, in fact, ask the Lord to increase that work of the Spirit in and through us. Acts also makes clear that faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord transforms one's life. You see individuals that were transformed because they were directly healed by the Lord Jesus Christ through the hands of the apostles and others. You have Saul of Tarsus, who was the chief persecutor of the church, who encountered the risen and living Christ and became the chief preacher of the church and the gospel that he once tried to destroy. You have Acts 19, which records an interesting uh, encounter where individuals came together and actually burned their books that were related to magic arts and the dark side of things in life because they had been so transformed by the message of Jesus Christ. You know, Acts also illustrates how believers respond in a culture that is hostile to Christ and his followers. One of the things that I find interesting is that the Christians didn't band together and start protesting Rome. They came together and prayed. And they didn't pray that necessarily things would change to, to better their circumstances, though I don't think it's wrong to pray that. But you know what they prayed? They prayed, Lord, give us more boldness to preach Jesus. Continue to do miraculous things through your people so that he will be exalted and glorified and people might know that he is the living, risen Savior who's alive. Do we pray along those lines? Or have we maybe been too much shaped by our own culture of our day? Acts shows that the Christian's biblical worldview is focused on the kingdom of God, salvation in Christ alone, and that which is eternal. One of the things that we see in the book of Acts illustrated in different ways is that they weren't too comfortable in this world from the standpoint that they weren't holding on necessarily just to earthly things. They were willing to actually, in fact, give up some of those earthly things if it would benefit the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and be a blessing in the lives of others. You know, Acts also provides the bridge from the gospels to the epistles, giving the needed context and background for their rightful place in the New Testament. Can you imagine how impoverished we would be as Christians if we didn't have the book of Acts. You would go from the Gospels right to Romans. And you would, you would probably be able to glean some things and sort of piece together what was happening based on those letters. But you would say, who is, who is Paul? Where did he come from? And why has he written so much? And why does Peter only write a few things? And who is this James that, that I'm reading from? And, and what about John? 
I mean, I know he's one of the apostles, but why was he writing? Where did these churches come from? We, we need the book of Acts because it is the bridge that, that, that sort of fills in our understanding of, of how we go from the life of Christ and his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to now how do Christians live based on the word of God. And the word of God encompasses those epistles as well as the book of Acts and all of the word of God that we have given to us. And Acts, finally, and I'm sure there are other points that you can add to this list, but in my list, Acts exalts Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy of worship, praise, faith, and the total devotion of one's earthly life and eternal soul. You know, in fact, the book of Acts gives us a lot to consider. Uh, way back, I say way back, it was back in, I think, 2016 or 17, uh, one of the times that we were together on Wednesday nights, we did a, a, a study themes from the book of Acts. And I pulled out that, uh, that, that list here. And here's some of the themes that you have in the book of Acts. The kingdom of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, why he came into this world and the salvation he offers, prayer, the Holy Spirit, the good news being proclaimed, the church, the providence of God, miracles, and the conversions of, of so many individuals. And... Uh, there's a lot of verses that are connected with every single one of those topics and then some in the book of Acts. So there's certainly uh, enough here that you and I can learn from as we, as we study the book of Acts together. So my next point is this. What is the value uh, of a prayerful study and faithful application uh, of the, the book of Acts? Why is it valuable? Why is it worthy of our our study, and why should we seek to apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, there's four things that I see. Number one, the book of Acts is history. The book of Acts is history. But it's living history. It's living history. I'll explain that in a moment. As I, as I mentioned before, Acts accurately records the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Rome. In fact, uh, turn to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 8 with me for a moment. Because here is, of all the outlines you can come up with, this one is the divinely inspired outline. Not because it comes from me, but because it's from the Word of God. Interesting, it has three points. Well, we'll leave that for your consideration. But look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now you have in the book of Acts, if you want an outline to sort of help you to think through the book and, and the progression that it makes, here you have it. It's, it's given by the Lord, and that's what Luke 
then followed as he presented the material in the book of Acts. In chapters 1 through 7, you have the emphasis of the gospel being presented to Jerusalem, to the Jews uh, who were there. And then in chapters 8 through 12, you have Judea and Samaria. So you start in Jerusalem, and then you start to work your way out to Judea and Samaria. And while those are, are pretty much Jewish areas, you're starting to now get into sort of uh, the areas with the Samaritans that were a mixed breed, if you want to call it that, of, of Jewish and other blood. You know, but they were still at least related to the Jewish people. But then you have in chapters 13 through 28 uh, to the ends of the earth, and you have recorded there uh, the, the, the three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul uh, and all that he encountered in that. Now, it's kind of interesting that uh, this, this moving outward of the gospel uh, is in connection with the ministry of the Holy Spirit in chapter 1 and verse 8. Without the, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you and I and, and any congregation will be ineffective in being a witness for Jesus Christ, wherever we are. We need God's work in and through us. Another way of understanding uh, this, this same, this same uh, idea of moving outward is seen in that uh, in chapters 1 through 7, you have the church established. You have the church established. It, it's, it's, it's founded on the person and work of Jesus Christ, and you see that in those first seven chapters. As the apostles are part of that, that foundation in, in preaching the good news concerning Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. In chapters 8 through 12, you have the church expanding. The church expanding. It doesn't just stay static or even stagnant. It's, it's moving outward. It's, it's growing. And then you have, thirdly, the church extends. So it's not only established in one location, but then it's expanding, and then it's extending out to the very ends of the earth. It's founded on the risen Christ. It includes, as it expands, those who are marginalized or pushed to the side, and that it extends to every person and every place on earth. Isn't that a great way to think about that? And think about your life as a, a Christ follower, about how God wants to, to use you right where you are to be a witness for you. He's not asking you primarily, first and foremost, to go somewhere else. He wants you to start where you are. In fact, I believe it is true that when missionaries, individuals who are, feel called to the mission field, are, 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 are sensing that call and are trying to sense how that can be realized, one of the things that a lot of mission boards uh, and even sending agencies will ask the individual or the couple, is what are you doing now as a witness for Jesus Christ? See, it's not just something God wants you to do way over somewhere else. He wants you and I to start right where we are in being a witness for Jesus Christ. And so it begins right where we are. And then it expands out to think about those around you and me. You know, those who can be even in your own family your own maybe neighborhood, 
But don't just stop there. Don't just get so focused even on the local. Realize that this is a worldwide mission that Christ has called us to. And so we send people to the very ends of the earth. In the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we have uh, missionaries serving in 70 different countries of the world. And I think that that's great and that's tremendous. And a lot of times they're going to places where the gospel has not yet been preached and proclaimed. Or it's just in its beginning forms in that area and in that place. And you see, uh, the book of Acts is showing us uh, how the gospel is to, to spread. And, it, and we see it by looking at what was done in the past. But as I said, this is living history. This is living history, which means it's not just something that we, oh, we learn the facts, we learn the dates, we learn the places, we learn the peoples, we get an A on the test because we know all the answers. God is saying to you and me, he wants us to enter into this. You and I are part of this. Did you know that the book of Acts is an open-ended book? It's unfinished. And it's unfinished for a reason. Because we are today still in the book of Acts. Jesus Christ is still building his church through his church and through his people as the gospel is proclaimed to individuals and people of every nation, tribe, tongue, and and. and country of the earth. Acts is still being written by the Lord uh, through his church. In fact, there's a verse that the Apostle Paul mentions, and it's, it's uh, certainly an interesting verse to look at. It comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And in the context of 2 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with the challenge to his apostleship that he was really sent by God. And so one of the ways that they affirmed the apostles back in those days, or at least showed their credentials, was that they had well, letters of recommendation, if you want to call it that, that they are legitimate, they're really God-sent. Um, and, and notice verse uh, 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? And then he makes this interesting point that, that the church in Corinth and those believers actually were his letter of recommendation. Notice what he says here. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. You, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, your life is a letter that's being written by God as you depend upon him. That it can be read by all. Your life can be read. And notice this. He says, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. And God is writing your life and your story into his story. And isn't it interesting, we talk about Acts as history. Someone has said history is really his story. It's all about Jesus Christ. And it is living history because the church is still part of what God is doing in the book of Acts. And you and I get to be part of history being written by God. You know, everybody wants to be part of something that's monumental, something that's historic. You know, oh, I was there when maybe... Uh, Yankee Stadium was first opened. 
Not, not me personally, but somebody would say, you know, oh, wow, I was there at the first pitch when it was thrown out. I was part of history, you know. Well, lo and behold, you and I are part of living history, God's living history that he's writing, and you get to be part of something that is the most monumental task that's ever been undertaken, and that is to be part of the good news of Jesus Christ and telling others that good news. So it's history. Secondly, the book of Acts is valuable not only because it's living history, but it's also a pattern. The book of Acts is illustrating the life and work of the church. We see in the book of Acts the focus and the emphasis of the church is on the Word of God, that it was proclaimed, that it was taught, that it was believed, that it was put into practice. We also see the emphasis put on prayer, that it was not just something that they did as a a routine or a rote, but it was their living relationship with God and their communion with God as the people of God. Prayer was important and really directed what they actually did and did not do because they were waiting on God in prayer. You have the the Holy Spirit who is active and and making His presence known in supernatural ways through the people. By the way, did you know that the church is supernatural? It's not just an organization. It's not just like any other club that exists and we have rules and and we have that just because of the necessity of the day in which we live. But the church is a living organism. It's the body of Christ. It's supernatural. And you and I should expect to see God work in supernatural ways. This is not relegated to a time in the past. God used to do that. Well, Where do you see that in Scripture? Are we not the same church? Are we not the same people of God? Are we not the same in coming in the book of Acts to experience the fullness of God and what He has for us? And then you see the proclamation of the gospel. The the church in Acts kept the main thing, the main thing. And and I understand the need to, to, to build bridges into communities and into individual lives with helping with things and needs that are legitimate needs. But if it ever happens that you become so absorbed in just meeting temporal needs and you never introduce Jesus Christ and the gospel, you failed. They always kept before them, and you read Acts, and it's always about the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what they talked about. That's what they shared. That's what they preached. That's what they were willing to die for. Because they know that they had been transformed and made new through Christ. And they wanted the world to know that same message. And they were willing to die for it. And so you see this as a pattern for us in proclaiming the gospel. It's illustrating the life and work of the church in those ways. But it also shows us how the church functioned in its leadership, in its structure, in the participation of the the, the believers in Jesus Christ. We see the establishment of deacons. We see elders. We see how the church was somewhat organized in that day. We see how the church responded when they were threatened with persecution. How do they respond to that? We even see them dealing with theological matters in uh, Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. How is a person saved? Does a person have to become Jewish first and follow Jewish guidelines and then become a follower of Christ, Messiah? Or, or are they just saved by faith? They had to deal with theological matters. The church still does that today. 
Well, the thing is, we've splintered off into 10,000 other, other different areas, and we can't agree on anything sometimes with certain things. But on, the, on, on, the, on the, the absolute foundational truth of how is a person saved, they said, this is it. It's faith in Jesus Christ and in his finished work on the cross, his resurrection again the third day, and nothing else. It's by faith alone. And if you're not convinced by the book of Acts, read Romans. You'll be totally convinced of that. And if that doesn't help you, read Galatians. That'll help convince you as well. And if you're still not convinced, come into my office and I'll have some counseling with you. Also, it becomes illustrative in that the people that God used. You have in chapters 1 through 12, you have Peter. Sandwiched in those chapters, you have Philip. And in chapters 13 through 28, you have Paul. Um, so instead of three peas in a pod, think three peas used by God. That'll help you to remember some of the people that were in Acts. Now, there were others as well. You have in there Barnabas, you have Stephen, you have James. But again, Luke was selective in what he wrote. So he's not telling us every detail about every apostle. The, the Acts of the Apostles is kind of a misnomer, you know. In fact, uh, I don't know if I have it here written in my notes. Uh, I thought I did, but they said a better name for the book of Acts should be this. Let me see if I can remember it right. The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus Christ through His Church in the Power of the Holy Spirit. I thought that was kind of interesting because that's really what you're seeing in this book. So you have here individuals uh, that, are, that are highlighted throughout the book of Acts, and they're, they're, they're presented before us to be examples to follow uh, and to, to learn from their experience, both, both good and bad, uh, their, their successes and their failures, so that you and I might learn. We're told in Scripture, and I know that this applies primarily to the Old Testament, but it's all of Scripture, but whatever was written in earlier times was written for our example that we, through the encouragement in the Scriptures, might have hope. See, we can look at the individuals that God used and see what God did in their lives. Maybe that's why God raised up in part the Apostle Paul not only to preach the gospel, but to be an example, to be a living illustration. That's why he could say in his walk with God, and I don't know that I can say this yet, be imitators of me even as I am of Jesus Christ. How many of us are at that place where we can say that confidently before the Lord? Paul could, and in fact, he did. So it's living history. It's a pattern. But it's also apologetic. It's apologetic. And let me explain. In, in the book of Acts, Luke is defending the Christian's purpose and worldview. The Christian's purpose and worldview. One of the things that he shows... Uh, through Acts, woven into the fabric of his, his narrative, is that the Christian is not a threat to Rome or their right to rule. Think about that. They are not subversives. Their goal is not to somehow bring in some kind of political reform or to overthrow the powers that be so that they can establish themselves as the authority. They're not emphasizing that. In fact, you see through Acts how every time the Christian is presented, particularly in relationship to the Romans or even the Jewish leadership, that there was always respect. There was always a desire to follow the law. It was always a desire to do things right in the eyes of those who were in authority and power. 
They weren't protesting. They weren't getting out their placards and saying, this is my right. The only time they used their right was to make sure that they were judged correctly. And the Apostle Paul even said at one point, if I've done something worthy of death or imprisonment, I'm willing to take my sentence. But my life is not to be a, a, a protest to something else. It's to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that brings me into trouble with the powers that be, so be it. We see that illustrated in the life of the Apostle Paul. In fact, we see that in this the Christians were only obeying God's call and the commission on them to follow and proclaim Christ. And the same is true of us. That's the ultimate call that we are to answer. That's the ultimate commission that you and I are to fulfill. The ones that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us. And in fact, at one point, Peter even says, should we obey you or should we obey God? You decide. And later when they were brought, brought before the authorities again, they said, we have to obey God rather than men. But we have to be sure that when we take that stand that we're really obeying God and not just our own desires or our own thoughts. It's also an apologetic in that Luke is showing us that the gospel message was not exclusive to the Jewish nation. Now, while the Messiah was sent indeed to Israel and came through Israel, this message was not meant primarily only exclusively for Israel. <laughs> you see it for all the nations of the world. In fact, we say in the Alliance, one of the little ways to remember this, all of Jesus for all the world. That is true. And you see that in the book of Acts. So you have here the, the living history. You have the pattern that illustrates the life and work of the church. You have the apologetic uh, nature of that, defending the Christian's purpose and worldview. But then you have, lastly, the personal. The personal. And, and, and what, I, what I mean by that is that it's revealing a Christian heart towards others. You say, how do you see that in Acts? Well, it's kind of interesting because Luke, that I keep saying is the author of this book, which he is, there are some that debate over that and, and get into all kinds of reasons why and why not. There are, there's external evidence. Some of the early church fathers, such as uh, Origen and uh, uh, I can't think of all their names here this morning. My mind's blank. I could see them and can't remember the names. Sorry. But anyway, the church fathers who lived within 100-plus years of the gospel of uh, uh, the book of Acts said Luke was the author. But there's also internal evidence. Um, you have uh, in three different sections um, what are called the we sections of the book. W-E, we. Not we going down a slide. W-E, we. You know? um, those are sections where the author of the book is right there firsthand experiencing what was happening. Interesting thing is when you put all of that together and you look at what Paul wrote uh, in his letters, uh, Luke is mentioned several times as a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. In fact, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, Luke is called the beloved physician. The beloved physician. And it's kind of interesting because Paul had his own private doctor that traveled with him. Not just to tend to his physical needs that might arise, but to also be a co-worker in presenting the gospel. And in fact, someone even pointed out, if you look at the gospel of Luke and you look at the book of Acts, that, that 
in that, Luke being a, a, a medical doctor in his day, it's kind of interesting the terminology that he used in the Greek, that he uses a lot of medical terms that the other gospel writers don't use. In fact, one of the specific uh, ways that this is pointed out is that you know how Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven? Remember that? That's recorded in, in, in I think, three places. The, the, the two other gospel writers talk about the eye of a needle as the, the, the needle you would use, the word they use is for how you would thread a needle to do sewing. Interestingly, in Luke's gospel, when he records those very same words, the word that he uses for needle is the needle that a surgeon would use to provide sutures in stitching someone up. Just little things like that. And even in the book of Acts and in the gospel of Luke, the, the ways that he describes the maladies that people had and the diseases and, and how even when they were healed, he's very specific and accurate as to even how the healing was happening in their bodies, that their ankle bones were strengthened. And he uses it in technical terms. So by process of elimination, Luke is the one who is the author of this book. And I have no reason to, to say otherwise. And I don't think it matters anyway. It's the inspired word of God. Are you going to believe it and apply it and live it? Or are you going to sit there and, and, and debate who wrote the book? Well, I think it's settled. Luke wrote it, so that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. So, but Luke was a co-worker of Paul. Here's the personal thing. Luke was... Loyal, and he was present to, with Paul to the very end. He was a faithful co-worker in the ministry of the gospel. And you can see that relationship throughout Acts and even through some of the letters of the Apostle Paul. But here's even a greater thing. And this, this really struck me. Both the gospel of Luke, and we'll talk about this next time when we actually get into the text both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts was dedicated to a person by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus. In the Gospel of Luke, he's called most excellent Theophilus, so he was probably, no doubt, a Roman official of some sort, maybe a high official. Maybe that's one of the reasons why he wanted to write an apologetic defense so that Theophilus would understand that Christians are not a threat to, to Rome and it's, it's right to rule. But notice this. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts, both of them dedicated to this man, Theophilus. Now think about that. He wrote both of these volumes, one and two, for his spiritual well-being that he might believe in and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about how much time how much effort, how much work it took Luke to compile these two works. He tells us at the beginning of the book, the Gospel of Luke, that he thoroughly investigated all these different things. And in fact, when you look at the Gospel of Luke and you look at the book of Acts and you see all the, the historical references that Luke makes to people and places and locations and things, they're 100% accurate. And even archaeology confirms that over and over and over again. But imagine the, the, the labor that he put into writing the gospel and then the book of Acts. And he was writing it for one person. Think about that for a moment. How much time, effort, 
and work did he invest in just this one person that that person might be convinced and understand that Jesus is Savior and Lord? He wanted to reach him for Christ and he was willing to, to go to that great extreme. And by the way, when you look at the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, these two together comprise 27.5% of the New Testament. Think about that. And I ask myself the question, did he know he was writing for a larger audience? I don't know that he knew that. He he was writing this because he was concerned for one soul and was willing to even go to that great length of writing two books just for them so that they could hear about Jesus Christ and be saved. I, I look at that and I say to myself, what about me? And what about you? Are we willing to sacrifice that much so that one person might hear the gospel and be saved? Well, what are some applications for us? And this is brief. Number one, uh, as a a church, as a whole, as a church, as I said, Acts reveals a pattern for church life. The church is meant to be the visible expression of the kingdom of God on earth. And the kingdom of God is the rule of the heavens over us, showing that we have one ruler and one king. It is the Lord. And as the church... The church is the body of Christ doing his work, being his hands and his feet and his mouth to speak truth and life through gospel proclamation. And God uh, provided opportunities to minister to others. And we see the church impacting the community and the world for Jesus' sake. See, Acts is the pattern for the church ministry and for missions. That's why it's important, and that's how we need to apply it as a church as a whole. But what about as an individual Christian? God includes me, and he includes you. He includes every believer in this work because we have a part to fulfill in knowing Christ and in making him known. Now, you may not be on the, the front lines of that, and God may not, or he may call you to take the gospel to another place. Nathaniel just finished a book report on the missionary to India, William Carey. And William Carey was willing in that, in that time, 1800, to take the gospel to India. You know, you know, by the way, did you know India is having a real surge with COVID and a lot of people are dying? need to pray for the people of India. Anyway, Carey was so convinced that, that God was calling him there. When he went to the mission boards to ask for help, at first they didn't want to listen to him. Now, these were believing people. And one response to him was, if God wants to, to save the people of India, he'll do it. You don't need to go there. But he went. And he was willing to go, and this was one of his sayings, I'll go, I'll go down to India if you hold the rope. Meaning, I'll go, but I need you to hold the rope. Just like a person would go down into the well to save someone who's trapped down there. I'm willing to go down, but I need you to hold the rope. 
And as believing people, all of us have a part in gospel proclamation. Some of us just have to hold the rope for someone else so that they can be on the forefront in proclaiming Christ. But all of us have a part in that. The Great Commission is for his entire church and not just a select few. And the book of Acts is a pattern for the church, for its ministry, and for missions. And it's meant uh, to challenge us uh, that God would use us in our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and at the very ends of the earth. And it's an admonition, finally. It's an admonition. It's an admonition to proclaim Christ always and everywhere because the story of the gospel continues in us. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to the conclusion of this, uh, this brief overview of the book of Acts. And Lord, I pray for myself and for this congregation, for those who are in the hearing of this word, that we, O oh Lord, would, would come to a place that we would not only know the book of Acts, but that we would begin in greater measure to live out the book of Acts. As someone once said, live in this book until you're living out this book. I pray, Lord, that that would be true of myself and for, for your believing people. And as we venture through uh, these beginnings of the church and the struggles they faced and the victories that they experienced and the failures that they encountered, I pray, O oh Lord, that it would enrich us in our relationship and in our walk with you individually that we might realize and, 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 and recognize afresh that, Lord, you are using our lives in making Jesus Christ known. And I pray, Father, that it would ignite within us a greater passion to know Jesus and to make him known. And that, Lord, uh, you would be pleased to use your church to, to reach those around us in our immediate context, those who are further out, and even, Lord, to continue to do that to the very ends of the earth. However that might look in the coming days, O oh God, would you increase our effectiveness in living for Jesus Christ in these days? And may it be the result, Lord, of our not only understanding your word and knowing your word, but in the power and in the authority of the Holy Spirit, living it out in our lives to the praise and glory and honor of your son, Jesus. For it's in his name that we would ask these things and to that end commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stay.